sometimes we do forget that God is the reason for every good thing. So we do need to be reminded about that every once in a while. Let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Then we'll get started digging into God's word. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to lift our voices to you. The opportunity to worship you through song. And even if we don't know the songs, even if we've never heard the songs before, Lord, we can meditate on the words of praise. We can meditate on how awesome and glorious you are. And I pray, Lord, that as I open your word this morning, that you would illuminate the scriptures, that you would penetrate our hearts and our minds to understanding what it is that you have to say to us this morning. I'm thankful for this body of believers that come together to worship you. And I pray, Lord, that we would glorify you in this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 12 through 31. So we've got a big swath of scripture to get through today, but it's, I'm going to break it down and I'm going to make it simple, hopefully. I try to make things simple anyway. When you think about the church, I want you to... What's the image that you picture when you think about the church? Do you think about a little white building? A room with blue chairs and gray carpet? Do you think about a mural in the baptismal? Do you think about a place where we come to sing songs, to hear the word preached and to worship God? Do you think about steeples? bulletins, hymnals, organs, pianos, microphones. What is it that you think about when you think about the church? Some of us grew up with a different background, so we may think about ornate and beautifully designed buildings. Or maybe it's a place where heaven and earth overlap, and that's where the presence of God is. See, when the Israelites were moved from Egypt, when God saved them from Egypt... They needed a place to worship, and so God gave them instructions, very detailed instructions on how to build what would be called the tabernacle. This was a tent that had a couple of different rooms in it. Um, We'll go deeper into that at another time, but they needed a place to worship God, to offer sacrifices to God, to offer offerings to God. So while they were living in the desert, God gave them specific instructions on how to build this tabernacle tabernacle. And so when they were parked for a little while, they would set it up. And then when they were ready to go, they would pack it up and they'd move it along. The tabernacle was the place where God came to dwell with his people. That is where they worshiped God. God's presence on this earth is represented by the tabernacle. And then later, when they finally got to the promised land, the temple This is where God was with his people, but he was also separated by them from them as well. There was only one place where God dwelled, and he dwelled in the Holy of Holies of both the tabernacle and the temple. And this was separated by a huge curtain that only one person, one time of year, could go into the presence of God. And this guy was called the high priest. 
And the high priest would go in before God and he would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant and atone for the people's sins. That was what his job was. But this high priest had a specific tribe that he came from. He came from the tribe of Levi and it was only one person. And he would enter in and if he was unholy, if he was unworthy of entering into the temple, what would happen is he would be struck dead because you can't be in the presence of the Lord unholy. Okay, so then Jesus came, right? Jesus came and he came and lived outside of the temple. So God left the temple and came to live with his people, right? In John 1.14, here's what we see. We see that, and the word became flesh, meaning Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now that word you see there, he came and dwelt among us, is actually better translated that Jesus came and tabernacled among us. That same word of Jesus living with us. So Jesus became the great high priest, right, that grants us direct access to the Father without the need of an earthly mediator. See, the high priest in Israel was a mediator. He was the go-between between God's people and God himself. But Jesus came and said, we, don't no long, we no longer need an earthly mediator. I am the perfect, holy, high priest. So Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection right, put an end to the need for a physical dwelling place on earth. We see at Jesus' crucifixion in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook and the rock split. Now this seems kind of like, what's going on here? This means that God's presence is now no longer locked into the temple. It is now amongst his people. The need for that tabernacle, the need for that temple, God's dwelling place had become obsolete, obsolete at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Paul, in his letters, he writes something spectacular. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So going back to my question, what is the church? The church is not a place. The church is not this place. The church is you. You are the church. God no longer dwells in a building, but he dwells in his people. So if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you are following after him, you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Now it's nice to have a building. It's nice to have chairs. It's nice to have heating and air conditioning. It's nice to have TVs. It's nice to have speakers. These things are nice. Running water, electricity, those are all nice things, but they don't make a church. You, I, those who follow after Jesus, they are the church. And the church isn't just a local assembly. The church is everybody who follows after Jesus. But we do have specific local assemblies of God's people that meet together and worship him. Now, in the New Testament, there are many images for the church that are talked about. One of them is the body of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. See, God has uniquely 
chosen you to be a part of this local assembly of believers. You are not here by accident. You are not here by happenstance, not by blind luck. You are here for a purpose. You are here to help build up the body of Christ. You are here uniquely to help First Baptist Church Louise spread the gospel to those who don't know it. The body of Christ is designed by God to do the work of God through unity, diversity, and love. The body of Christ is designed by God to do the work of God through unity, diversity, and love. So we talk about unity. Where do we find that? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, here's what it says. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So unity, we are one body, we live in unity. What is unity? It is accord or harmony, working together to accomplish a mission or goal. That's what unity is. And where do we get our sense of unity? Well, we get our sense of unity from the Trinity. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, working together to accomplish the mission of salvation. So that's the perfect picture of unity. So God the Father sent God the Son to provide salvation, and God the Holy Spirit communicates that salvation to us. Unity. Perfect unity. But we as a church, we don't have that perfect unity because we are flawed creatures. So we have to look for how we find our unity together. Well, we have a shared identity, We have a shared spirit, and we have a shared mission. So we find our identity through those three things. What is our our unity through those three things? So what does it mean that we have a shared identity? When we have an encounter with God, our lives change, right? When we have an encounter with God, our lives change. But not just our lives. Our very identity, our very sense of being changes when we interact with that which is holy, You are no no longer merely an individual when you come to God. You are now a child of God brought into a family of God. You've been brought into the body of Christ. You don't live in isolation. You are called to live in community. So one of the shared identities we have is that we are royal ambassadors to the king of the universe. He has called us to represent him to others who don't know him so that we can preach the gospel to them and that they could be invited into this citizenship. Right? We are no longer beholden to the things of this world, but we are about the things above. We are about the kingdom of heaven. As ambassadors, we represent God and partake in what he is doing on earth as it is in heaven. Not only do we, are we royal ambassadors, but we are also a new creation. We are now made right. We are in a right relationship with our creator. He doesn't just take what is broken and mend it together. 
No, he does something completely different. He takes what is broken and makes it something completely new. He doesn't just patch us up. He transforms us. He makes us new. He transforms our desires, our affections, our motives have changed and should be driven by God's motive of love and his desire to see lives change. We also, when God calls us to himself, he is making us into his masterpiece, fit for doing the work the way that he has designed us to do. We are called called to God to do good works for him. We are invited into his mission, not because he needs us, but because he wants us to be involved. And when we become a brother of Jesus or sister of Jesus, we're invited into this royal priesthood, right? Where we have access to the Father, not just some access, but unfettered access that has never been granted to people outside of Christ's salvation before. We are allowed into the presence of the king where we can boldly approach his throne of grace and ask for wisdom and power to accomplish his works. Every time, every time we gather together to worship, this isn't a mundane thing. This shouldn't just be going through the motions. We are here together to celebrate the new life that Christ has given us. That new life that we have been transformed into. This is your identity. An ambassador, a new creation, a masterpiece, a priest working on behalf of God. This isn't just your identity, but this is our shared identity. This is who we are as the body of Christ. A new creation. Not only do we have a shared identity, but we also have a shared spirit. See, each believer that is born again has the Holy Spirit residing in them at all times and in all places. The Holy Spirit doesn't change depending on who has him. He is consistent and unchangeable. He has called us each to the life of living a sanctified life and urging us to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. We are on a journey to become more like Christ through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This shared spirit is what enables us to love, care for, and work with one another. Remember, you are the temple of the living God. This means that we should be careful how we talk to each other, how we interact with one another, because how I treat you and how you treat me reflects on what I really think about God. It reflects on what I really think about who God is. Because if we have hostility, anger, frustration, or hatred toward one another, we need to remember that it is God that has brought us together, that we are each image bearers of God, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when I'm mad at you, I'm not just mad at you, I'm mad at who God has made you to be. So we have to remember that we are image bearers of God, and that we are all on this road to sanctification differently and we are all on it together it'll look different for you than it does for me but we need to come alongside each other and encourage one another love one another support one another to finish this race well so in addition to our shared identity and our shared spirit we also have a shared mission what is our shared mission 
to continue the work that Jesus started. To continue the work that the saints of old started. To make disciples of all nations. All people need to hear the good news of the gospel. All people need to know the reality of hope, joy, love, and peace that is found in Christ alone. All people need to hear that God loves them and wants a relationship with them. All people need to know the love that brings about change. We must not lose sight of the mission that God has set before us. When I first met with the leadership team a couple of months ago, I posed a question to them. And this is a question that actually came up on a podcast that I was listening to, but I thought it was an important question for us as a church and us as a leadership team to talk about. And it was this. If we, as a congregation, stopped meeting tomorrow, would anyone notice outside of ourselves? What is the impact that we're having on other people in the community? Because a church is not supposed to be just solely inward focused, right? We're supposed to be reaching out to those who are sick and hurting. So if the question is, would anyone notice if we were gone? And the answer is no. Then we are not doing the work that Jesus has called us to do. We are not doing the things that we have been called to do. And we need to re-examine why God has called us to be a congregation. We need to repent and do the work that God has set before us to preach the gospel to those in our community. This is our mission. This is our calling. We cannot be solely inward focused. We exist to bring glory, honor, and praise to the one that saved us by telling others about his great and miraculous love. That's why we exist. We are each missionaries. Though we may not go to Africa, though we may not go to England, we are all on a mission to preach the gospel. And the reason that mission exists is because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. That was John Piper's quote, and I think it's fantastic. Jesus has called us to live in unity, but he has created each one of us individually and purposefully. So we live in unity, but the body of Christ thrives in diversity. We thrive in diversity. Unity does not mean uniformity. And thank God for that, because I don't want to be around a bunch of robots. Right? God has created us each to play a part in this body of Christ. Let's continue reading in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of, or in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head 
to the feet, I have no need for, of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And though on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and the, our unprecedentable parts are treated with greater modesty. So the body of Christ thrives in diversity. Well, how did you get this from that scripture, Josh? Well, here's, here's the thing. Think about a football team, right? We all know football teams. Football teams consist of a bunch of different players, right? But they're all on one mission, to win. Now, they don't all do that. I mean, <laughs> so, but the football team has many players that make up one team. They aren't all quarterbacks. They aren't all linemen. They aren't all running backs. They are a team, and each one of them provides a special skill set to accomplish that mission of winning a game. But if one player doesn't do what he is supposed to do, then the whole team suffers, right? So it is for the church. The church exists for our good and for God's glory. We should marvel at the fact that God has chosen to place us in a church body because we all know that the Christian life is difficult. It is difficult to always be keeping our eyes on things above. It is difficult to take up our cross and follow Jesus. The Christian life could never be lived in isolation. In isolation. We are not an island. We need each other, so God has brought us together to be with each other. I mean, the reality is, what's the hardest day of the week to get up and get ready? What's the hardest day of the week where it seems like everything that could go wrong does go wrong? What is the easiest day of the week to mail it in and say, eh, at least I tried? Sunday, right? That's when all the fights and the bickering and everything starts. You can be a perfect family Monday through Saturday, but Sunday morning something happens. Boom. And there's arguments, and there's fighting, there's frustration, the hot water heater breaks, or whatever it is. Satan is trying to keep us away from each other because this is an important time for us. I would dare say for the believer, this is the most important time of the week. This hour that we gather together to sing songs, to worship God, to hear the word preached is the most important hour. It should be refreshing encouraging and a lovely time for us to be followers of Jesus together. However, the sad reality is that, that many of us feel like we can do this Jesus thing alone. That I don't need to gather together. I don't need to be with other people. I can do this Christian things alone. But we can't. It's impossible to live a holy life apart from those of the body. The fact that God has made you a part of a church should encourage us to want to serve the mission of the church and to serve one another to aid that mission. You see, you are uniquely gifted to serve this body. You are uniquely gifted and were put here for a purpose. If you call First Baptist Church Louise your home, you are called to minister to this body. In your seat in front of you, or in your seat when you came in, you should have saw a card like this that says, put me in, coach. And on the front it says, serve FBC Louise. This is an area, these are all areas, whoop, where we need help. Now, we all have an idea of what it means to, to be a church, but let me tell you, if we're not preaching the gospel, if we're not reaching the lost, then we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. 
But with that, we do have to fill in spots in our churches, in our church. Um, so this right here, it goes through a couple of different ones. We'll go through a couple of different ones real quick. So it says, where is God calling you to serve him? So we, if you want to be, these are parts where we need your help, where we need to grow, where we need to be involved, because God has uniquely gifted you to serve this church. So if you want to participate in the worship team, whether you play an instrument, you sing, you do sign language, whatever it is, <laughs> if you want to be a part of the worship team, let us know so we can start doing different things. We are going to get a prayer team together. That they gather to get us together to pray for the ministry here at First Baptist Church and for those who are sick and hurting in the community. We need more volunteers for our media team to help set up and run the presentation software and the live stream. I want people to be a, a part of a care team, put together a care team that you're in, in the loop with the community and with the church body and those who are sick and hurting, and you come up with ways to minister to them, whether it be a phone call, a card, just letting them know that we're thinking about them, that we're praying for them. Or the connections team. This is formerly the, the hospitality team, and this is going to be in charge of decorating and generating ideas for community outreach, whether it be dinner on the grounds or greet, greeting people as they come in and just saying, hey, we're glad that you're here. Make them feel at home when they visit. We need volunteers for our children ministry team. This includes a student ministry that we want to get started, that we want to start bringing in more students during the week and, and worshiping with them. We, want, we need teachers for Sunday school. We need volunteers for Wednesday nights. We need people to volunteer for fifth quarter when that starts back up after the football season. We also need more people involved in the nursery. Now, don't be limited by these six things listed here on this list. If you feel that there's a need that we need to, to meet and you have ideas or suggestions, please bring them to us. And we'll look and see if we can get it, get it started. But this right here is important because, again, God created you uniquely to serve in one of these areas. That's why he called you to be a part of this church. The ministry of this church body is your ministry. There is a place for you to plug in. And if you haven't found one yet, talk to us about it and we will aid you in finding a place to discover where you should be serving. Because you should be serving. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, But as it is, God arranged the members. Just think about that for just one second. God arranged the members. It's not an accident. You're here on purpose, for a purpose. He arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. He picked you to be here because of your diversity of gifts. Now here is the harsh truth. If you aren't serving the church body, you are robbing the church body of your unique gifting. You are robbing yourself of your full God given potential. And scariest is you are disobeying God by not submitting to the calling that he has set before you. You're robbing your church body. You're robbing yourself and you're disobeying the Lord. 
you may think or believe that the area that you have been gifted is insignificant. All I can do is add numbers together. All I can do is make phone calls. All I can do is make the bulletin. Whatever it is. But let me, assu- let me assure you that it's very untrue. There is no insignificant part to play in the church body. There is no insignificant part. Whichever area that God has gifted to you is not and cannot be insignificant because each and every good or every gift that God gives is good and important for the life and the health of the church body. God doesn't waste his gifting. He gives according to his glory, his goodness, and his mercy. Using the gifts that God has given you allows the body of Christ to work the way it should. We are each an important and necessary part of the church body. And we should rejoice at the gifts that God has given us. You may be wondering, I don't know what my gifting is. You may ask yourself, how am I to find out how God has gifted me? The reality is, is we serve one another together. We love one another authentically. That is how we discover what our gifts are. Verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the, mem- you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And when he talks about, and I will show you still a more excellent way, he leads into that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the chapter of love. What is the most excellent way to serve one another? It is to serve one another through love, through authentic love. Sometimes we need to know how God has gifted us. Other times we need to learn what those gifts are. Some of us are teachers, Some of us are fixers. Some of us are prayer warriors. Some of us are good with numbers. Some of us are good helpers. Some of us are good singers, musicians, good with kids, super friendly. Whatever it is, some of us have different giftings. We all have different giftings, and God has brought us together to serve him with one another. But regardless of how God has gifted you, he has gifted you, right? And you should use that gift to the edification of the body and the mission of God. So what are you good at? Where are you good at? What, like, what are you good at? I know what I'm not good at. Sometimes that's a good place to start. What am I not good at? I'm not good at fixing things. So that's not an area that God has gifted me. I'm not, I can't even paint a wall well. Ask Corey. She'll tell you about it. I'm not good at that handy-dandy stuff. That's just not who I am. right? But what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What do you think God's gifting has been to you? And when you can answer those questions, use it. Use what you're good at. Use what you're passionate about. Use what you think God has gifted you to do. 
not for self-glory or praise, but because God has graciously provided to you that gifting. You demonstrate your love for God and your love for your fellow brothers and sisters when you serve the church body. We love each other through service. Sometimes, the only way you can find out what you're good at is by doing it. You know, and when I'm asking you to fill out this, this card and, and, you know, try something out, I'm not saying that you're locked into that for the rest of your life, right? I'm not saying that you, this is the only thing you can ever do for the church. But try something. Do something, right? Just try it, and maybe you'll go two months into it, Josh, I'm really not good in the nursery, right? Or Josh, I'm really not good doing the media stuff. Whatever it is, we can continue to figure out. We, we start trying stuff out, and as it works, we continue to do it. As it doesn't work, we move past it. But serving in one capacity or another allows others to see your gifts. It allows others to see your gifts in action, and they spur them on to serve too. Many of us go through times where we feel distant from God, right? Where we feel like our prayers are hitting the ceiling. A lot of times we can get out of that rut when we submit to God and we start serving Him. I'll tell you that the, I've never felt closer to God than when I'm serving Him, when I'm building up the church, when I'm edifying my fellow believers. So if your relationship with God feels stale or you feel distant from God, start serving Him. Start putting boots to the ground. There's something about submitting your life and talents and gifting to God that draws us to feel closer to Him. We also love each other, not through just service, but through intentional community. This is one of the drums you will hear me beat continually. We need to know, love, and grow with one another. We are a family, we are a body. We need to know one another. We cannot grow in isolation. We cannot meet the needs of each other if we don't express those needs to one another. We all have stories. We all have something to contribute. We all have different giftings. So get to know somebody. Be vulnerable with them. Be honest with them. Be open with them. And you'll see the floodgates of love open wide. You feel the floodgates of God's grace open wide when you get to know other people, when you get to grow. Don't just come here, sit here, and leave, but get together, love one another. The best way to know somebody is by serving with them. Then we also love through empathy. We mourn with those who mourn. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. As one body, we, we need to work together. We need to remember that any joy is all of our joy, and any pain is all of our pain. If your little toe hurts, your whole body hurts, right? If you've got a broken finger, it's like that joke, doctor, I come into the office, it hurts when I push here, and it hurts when I push here, and it hurts when I push here. And he goes, what do you think's going on? Looks like your finger's broken right? Because your finger's broken. That's why it hurts everywhere you push, right? When one of us is hurting, it hurts us all. When one of us is mourning, we need to mourn together. We need to love each other. We need to take seriously the calling that has been set before us. We need to love God and love people, including the people that are already a part of this family. We need to stay focused on the message of the gospel. We need to stay focused on love 
for one another. We need to stay focused on the mission of the church. And we, if we lose sight of any of those, we are in danger. We are in danger of closing our doors. We are in danger of losing what God has blessed us with. So we need to stay focused on what God has called us to do. So let me ask you, why are you here? Where can you serve? Why has God placed you here at First Baptist Church, Louise? We can have excitement for what God has done in the past, but let us not forget that God's not done with us yet. Right? God is not done with us. Are you committed to serving Him? Are you committed to serving the church? And are you committed to telling others about the greatness of our Savior? Are you a functioning member of the church or just a spectator? Just sitting on the sidelines. Make a commitment today to find the calling and the gifting that God has given you and He has uniquely created you for. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, follow Him. Serve Him. But if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Him as your Savior, submit to Him and allow Him to reveal to you why you were created and how you can serve Him. Don't hold back from what God has in store for you. God gives freely, but He expects us to act on the graciousness that we have received, graciousness that we have been shown. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for this time. Thank You for the opportunity to preach Your Word. Lord, I pray that Your Spirit is moving in us and convicting us of the fact that we need to serve Your body better that we need to do what it is you have called us to do. And Lord, as we enter into this time of communion, let's be reminded of the one that we serve. Be reminded of the grace that we have received. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to have the Lord's Supper.